right, we'll be in the book of Genesis tonight. You got your Bible, you can open up there. And uh, week three of our study, Do You Know My Name? Uh, just trying to get to know our God better. And He wants us to get to know Him. He gives us these names that are more than names. They tell us about His character, about His personality, about what He wants for us. Um, we started out with Elohim, which is the most generic name in the Bible for God. It's like our word, G-O-D. I mean, we can use God for the God of the Bible or for the thousands of gods of the Hindu pantheon. Um, we can use it in a lot of different ways, and it was that same way in Israel. It just means powerful God. To the, to the Israelites, it meant creator God, the one in Genesis chapter 1, the Elohim who made the heavens and the earth, the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and it is a word that could also talk about Apollo or Zeus or Molech or Ashtoreth or any other ancient god. Now for Israel, Elohim is that one who is not only the creator God, but who desires a special relationship with his people. He chooses Israel. They're going to be a light to the nations. They're going to be the people through whom God's going to reveal what it looks like to live in relationship with God. Last week, we went from the most generic name uh, for God in the Bible to the most, um, what would be the opposite of generic, the most intimate, the most personal, uh, the most special name, at least in the Old Testament, which is Yahweh, a uh, name that is not shared by any other God other than Israel's God. Uh, the covenant name, uh, that means the, the name that was only for Israel and, and their God, uh, is Yahweh. Literally translated, it is I am. And we talked about uh, the reality there, that God is underneath all things, source of all life, uh, the one that got everything started, the one who sustains everything by his powerful word. Uh, and before, but tonight, before, we're going to go back in time a little bit, because before Yahweh was known as the covenant name, that name that was special for Israel and their God, there was another name that was kind of the, the JV team, I guess. That's, okay, that doesn't work. Um, but the, the name that was used before that would be El Shaddai, all right, which was, they believed was that special name before um, Yahweh. El Shaddai, which means God Almighty or Lord God Almighty. Uh, once again, um, to Moses, God revealed himself as Yahweh, uh, that intimate name for the Hebrew God. Uh, before Moses, before the burning bush, before the liberation um, from Egypt, the patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah, uh, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Joseph, they used this name. They used El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, as their name to talk about their God. Um, it's a name, I think, that is powerful. It's a name that we might want to integrate into our prayers from time to time when we are facing overwhelming odds when we're in a situation, we don't see a way out of that situation. We need God Almighty, God for whom there are no human limitations. Essentially, this name emphasizes for us that God is able to handle any situation, even situations that we cannot handle. We get into routines, I think, and routines can be good. Routines can sometimes be um, not good. They can become mindless. Um, we get into a comfortable rhythm in our prayers. We get into comfortable routines in our prayers. Um, we pray to 
dear God or Father, um, why not use some of these other names that are biblical names? Why not use some of these names that God has given us um, when we pray to God? It just adds depth, I think, and can break up some of the monotony in our prayer lives. Um, So, I don't know if this helps, but I, I was thinking this week as I was thinking about this lesson about the different names. I was thinking about Abraham Lincoln. Um, arguably the greatest president we've ever had. Um, there are people who, depending on their relationship with Abraham Lincoln and the situation they found themselves in, would have used different names for Abraham Lincoln. His four sons called him Dad, Mary Todd. I don't know what Mary Todd Lincoln called him. Whatever the 1800s version of honey was or sugar. Uh, during a crisis. I know it's weird to think about, isn't it? But I'm sure she had a name for her, for her man. Uh, during our crisis as a nation, he was Mr. President. Um, he was the commander-in-chief to the armed forces. Walt Whitman penned the, the poem where he called him, O Captain, My Captain. Um, and so, different names for different situations, different moments. Each one has significance. Each one is important. And it works that way with the names of God as well. When we pray... We would do well to think about how we're addressing God. What title, what name has he revealed to us that fits our hour of need and our circumstances? Are you crying out to Father God? We have that amazing privilege. Um, Jesus prays on that uh, in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, which is cool. It's cool. Because we know Jesus is the Son of God, but he prays Our Father. He doesn't just pray my Father. So he invites us to address God as Father. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit cries out from within us, Abba, even more intimate, Daddy. Um, So we're able to pray to God as, as our Father. How about praying to El Shaddai? Praying to Lord God Almighty. It's a powerful thing, I think, to use in our circumstances um, and allow those circumstances to steer us to these different names that God has given us. Um, Everyone knows there are different names that fit different situations. Um, Yeah, I don't need to do that. But what about you? Different names that people know you by? Um, Different names that that people use uh, when you cut them off in traffic on 635 they might use one name Um, if I teach at a university class I might be Dr. Dabbs might be Professor Dabbs that doesn't happen very often anymore and it sounds incredibly weird preacher the preacher Uh, my wife calls me babe okay that's her name for me Um, my kids call me dad when we lived in Brazil I was Dr. Wesley Dr. Wesley I wasn't Gordon in Brazil And I think I've told you before, there was a good reason for that, because my first name means fat in Portuguese. See, it's really worse than that. Gordo is fat. Gordon Gordon means very fat. So didn't use that name Uh, and didn't share that name with a lot of Brazilian people. So it's a little weird now that they see me popping up on Facebook as Gordon Dabbs and they're making comments and, you know, anyway. Especially in a country where they use nicknames. Right, the backs of their jerseys—you probably wouldn't know this as an American—but their their Celeste their national team—they all have nicknames on the back of their 
on the back of their jerseys. They don't really generally have their, their real names. So anyway, speaking of context, we learn a lot, as we've been talking about the last few weeks, about these names of God by going to those specific moments where those names were revealed. There is a reason why God reveals a certain name in a certain situation, and never is that so clear as it is with this name, El Shaddai, which is used for the first time in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Do not go there yet. We've got to work our way up to Genesis 17, 1. And obviously, that is right in the middle of the story of Abraham. Let's start in Genesis 12. The calling of Abram. The Lord has said, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country. Think about this. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. And go to the land I will show you. I will make you... A great, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is what gets really interesting for me, verse 4. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 75 years old when God put a calling on his life. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So, Scripture Think about Abram in the context of Scripture. Huge leap in the story of Scripture. We have been painting uh, the history of the world and God's interaction with the world with broad brushstrokes. God is, is dealing with humanity in general. He makes the world. He makes man and woman. You have the story of Noah. Um, but God is relating... Um, in this very big picture sort of way. And in Genesis chapter 12, all of history, and for the rest of the book, basically, of Genesis, all of history is going to zoom in on this one individual figure and his wife, right, and their family. Abram and Sarai, 75 years old. I just can't get over that. I mean, he had been getting the discount at Denny's for 20 years at this point, okay? 75 years old, incredible leap of faith to basically reset. I mean, that's when you settle down. That's when you find a comfortable chair and you watch the family or the grandkids, if he had any, but he didn't, did he? 75 years old, he sets off on this grand adventure. So the Bible has been relating these big picture world history stories from Noah up until this point. Well, things change here in Genesis 12. Now it all turns on this one senior citizen named Abram. So for the first time, the nation of Israel is beginning to come into focus. Not a very clear focus at this point, but he's the father 
of this nation. And so we're beginning to see God is up to something with Abram and his descendants. It's a promise given to a man and woman who are decades past their childbearing years that they're going to have a child, more than that really, they're going to have descendants that you can't even count, like the stars in the sky. And we know he had great faith. There is no other explanation for a 75-year-old saying yes to God on this adventure, leaving his culture, leaving his people, leaving his household, basically everything he knows. Is he even going to understand the tongue of the people he, he visits and sees? Well, some of them maybe, some of them not. And so while he is a person of exceptional faith, he is still a person. And even Abram is not perfect. And we get glimpses, don't we, of fault lines in him. He's lying about his wife at times, or, or being deceptive at least about his wife. And we see glimpses of fault lines even in his faith. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 16. So he's gotten this promise. He's left home. They're wandering off to who knows where. He's been promised that, he's, that he and Sarai are going to have descendants. Years are going by. They're getting farther and farther away from the childbearing years that were way in the past. He's supposed to become this great nation, and they don't even have one kid. So maybe it's time to give God's plan a little shove. Sarah had the idea, you remember. She had the idea initially. She said to Abram, Honey, check out my maidservant, Hagar, much younger. Why don't you sleep with her? Why don't you get her pregnant? You can have your descendant that God promised you through Hagar, but it'll be like my daughter. We'll be like the parents of this child. Abraham agrees. Hagar got pregnant, and Abraham had his first child when he was 86 years old named Ishmael. Ishmael was not a result of God's plan. Ishmael was a result of Abram and Sarai's improvisation, their tweaking of God's plan. And the result of this decision to short circuit, to lose patience with God's plan that was unfolding too slowly for them, the results literally are still echoing across the world today. <laughs> I mean, there's been trouble ever since Ishmael was born, right? Um, first, conflict between Sarai and Hagar. That happy little agreement, it's all going to work out. It was not harmonious. Pride, rivalry, it, it got ugly. It got ugly. Hagar, not Sarai. Hagar was the mother of Abram's child. And that made for a, a very contentious home life um, between the two ladies and everybody else got swept into that as well. But that was only the beginning. That was small potatoes compared to what was coming. I read the Quran a few years back, the Muslim holy book, and you get to see the tension. Basically, if you start reading the Quran within the first ten pages, you'll begin to see the tension. 
there's a lot of vitriol in that book toward Jews and Christians, right? toward the people of the book, as they're called in the Quran, the Jews, and the people of Isa, the people of Jesus. Um, Muslims contend that that is the promised child. Yes, God, we all agree, Jews, Christians, Muslims, we all agree. God chose Abram to be the one whom this mighty nation would come through. There's his first son, Ishmael. And so Muslims contend that he is the promised son, not Isaac. And so they revere Abram, but they are at odds with the Jews and the Christians who see Isaac as the son of promise. And so the Quran is, is just chock full of hostility and animosity toward Christians and Jews. Um, but because this, this child was prophesied about from the very beginning, we have an opportunity to see the, the inspiration of Scripture confirmed, basically. Because like I said, we are still experiencing the the negative consequences of prophecies that were made about this child. Check out Genesis 16, 12. This son of yours, Ishmael, will be a wild man. As untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise... See if this doesn't describe the world today in the Middle East. He will raise his fist against everyone... And everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. That was true of Ishmael, but that prophecy was true of everything that came through the short-circuiting of God's plan by Abram and Sarai. And even though Abram jumped the gun, and even though he chose not to wait any longer on God, God does not give up on Abram. And does not give up on Sarai. Does not say, you broke the rules, I'm finding another couple. <laughs> We're starting over. Um, so we go to chapter 17. Starting in verse 1. When Abram was <clears throat> 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. First time in Scripture. 99 years old, he appears to Abram. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Wow. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will no longer be the father of you will be the father of many nations. You will no longer be called Abram, which means exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of multitudes. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. And remember, no Isaac yet. God also said to Abram, Moving to verses 15 and 17. God also said to Abraham, now the new name, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. We're not sure about the meaning of the name. Probably princess. 
Seriously. Probably princess. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her. So it's not just a promise for him. It's also for her. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her, including the king of kings. Abraham fell face down. (laughs) He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah give birth at the age of 90? Well, God's promise took 25 years to come to fruition. How we get in a hurry with God. How we don't want to wait. You know, I want to pray today, and I want to see the answer today, maybe tomorrow at the latest. 25 years? Hmm. We're a lot like Abram and Sarai. We don't like waiting. Um... And it would be easy, I think, to throw them into the bed. Look at that lack of faith. How dare they try to change God's plan and do things a little differently. But 25 years, I think we can understand why they might lose patience, especially given their ages. It's not like he appeared to Abram and Sarai when they were 19 and 20. All right? So Isaac is finally born to Abraham and Sarah when the father is 100, the mother is 90. And they gave him the name, and it's a perfect name. And they gave him the name Isaac, which means laughter, or he laughs. Because Abram and Sarai, and then Abraham and Sarah, did quite a bit of laughing with respect to this unbelievable promise that God was making. They would get pregnant, and they would have a baby. Chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She added, who would have said to Abraham, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So there's the name. The context for this name that is used over and over in the Old Testament, El Shaddai, this is where it all started. The perfect moment for God to reveal this name. Almighty God, Lord God Almighty. By any human account, this situation was impossible. You don't see couples aged 190 on the diaper aisle, well, you might see them in the diaper aisle at Walmart, but not because they have a baby, right? They're not looking for onesies. They're not looking for strollers because that's not possible. That can't happen. So really, who can blame Abraham for doubting back when he and Sarah, or Sarai back then, concocted this whole scheme uh, that resulted in Ishmael? And I think we're honest with the text, it is easier for us, or maybe I should speak for myself, sometimes it is easier for me to believe in God's power when it comes to kind of the big scheme of the universe. God who speaks and galaxies are created. God who speaks and the world we know is created, teeming with life. Uh, God the miracle of God being immortal with 
no beginning and no end. Um, accepting, so this God, the God who operates in the grand scheme of things, the big picture God who is doing all of this amazing stuff in the universe, and somehow for me that's sometimes easier to believe, and it tends to break down sometimes when it gets to me. Do I believe that God is still at work? Do I believe that God can do anything in my life, in my world, in my marriage, in my ministry, with my kids? Do I believe that El Shaddai is still El Shaddai, or did he kind of hang that name up? And he doesn't do the almighty stuff anymore. And somehow, I don't know if you identify with this at all, but the big picture stuff easier. My life, my situation, my prayers, it's... it's, It's a little trickier there, doesn't it? God is powerful in speaking the universe into existence, but what about me? And I think that's where the breakdown of faith happens with a lot of people. Somehow things like the creation, (laughs) the virgin birth, uh, the resurrection, somehow things like that come easier for people than the reality that God is actually working in their circumstances, in their life. Um, whether it's in our relationships, our finances, our careers, goals, dreams, challenges, struggles, can God cure this illness? Um, Somehow our individual life circumstances make it harder for us, I think, to believe in El Shaddai, to believe in Lord God Almighty. So when life gets hard, when we can't see God or what God is up to. Like there are gaps in Abram's story where clearly he couldn't see what God was up to. When we have these gaps in our life, when we struggle, that's where we find out what we really believe. And that's where we find out what kind of faith we have. Faith is not needed when you can see everything God is up to. Oh, God is doing this, and God is about to do this. And next, after that, God is going to do this. When you can see God's plan laid out like that, you don't need faith. You need faith when you can't see it. You need faith when you have no idea what is going on. And I think that's one of the reasons the the New Testament calls him the father of our faith. Because he, even though it wasn't perfect, he continued to trust even when he couldn't see what God was up to. So, Isaiah 55, El Shaddai announced, My plans are not your plans, and my ways are not your ways. So basically, it's a very nice way, isn't it, of God telling us, you're not going to be able to keep up with what I'm doing, okay? You're not going to be able to understand what I'm up to. Even that lion of faith... Abraham struggled with this, trying to tweak a plan that he did not understand or was tired of waiting on when he got up in age and wasn't buying into God's timeline. Consider Jesus. The Jews had been waiting for Jesus or waiting for the Messiah, the Messiah. They had been waiting for centuries for God to send Messiah. Waiting and waiting, and then, seriously? A carpenter from Nazareth. 
That's the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah. And he's arrested by the Romans. He's put on trial. He's hung on a cross until he dies. That's the Messiah that we've been waiting on for generations. El Shaddai says to us over and over again, my ways are not your ways. My plans are not your plans. And if we're honest, his ways much of the time, they do not track with our vision of how things should work. What would be best for me? What would be best for my life and my family and this church and this country? My ways are not your ways. My plans are not your plans. And while I may not always approve of the specifics of what he's doing or understand those specifics of what he's doing in my life, El Shaddai is always full of surprises since the day he revealed that name to a 100-year-old man, a 99-year-old man. I think you can round at some point when you get up to 99, but he's shown up at some spots that have completely blown me away, and we could, I think we could all share stories tonight, and I had a couple of different ones. I'll just share one with you, and we had been in Brazil for several years. Uh, we were planting the church there, a little backstory there, so we were with the mission team, and been there for several years, finally get the Portuguese down, uh, finally feel like, okay, the work is getting some traction the church is beginning to grow. Good things are starting to happen. And then uh, we lost a significant amount of support. That happens to missionaries from time to time because circumstances change back here on the other side of the world. And so we lost a significant amount of support. And we're like, wow, this is hard. Um, we can't stay here without replacing that support. Don't really want to move back to the States to try to raise money to spend months trying to raise that money, what are we going to do? So somebody tells me, they were a member at the Hills Church Christ over in Fort Worth, somebody told me, you might try Byron Nelson. And I said, the Byron Nelson? And they're like, yeah, you might try Byron Nelson. He's a member over there at the Hills. You might just, and I'm like, but I don't know, he doesn't know me for sure. I mean, I know him. I don't know his, I don't know him personally. And they're like, well, so, so I call Byron Nelson. I talk to Peggy, his wife. And they're like, well, yeah, next time you're back on furlough, why don't you come over and have lunch at our house? And I'm like, have lunch at your house? So, so yeah, me and the kids and Isla, we troop out to Byron Nelson. Byron and Peggy's fixed a real nice lunch. We have lunch. And then, and then he just starts telling stories, which was awesome. So that was almost as good as the money that I needed listening to the stories. Not quite as good, but almost as good. And then finally he says, you know, so some guys from the oil company came out here about a year ago, said, hey, can we look at your property? There might be some oil, some natural gas on your property. Would that be okay? And Byron Nelson said, sure, take a look around. So they found some oil. They put in a couple wells. And he said, I figured I didn't do anything. So he's getting these royalty checks for about $800 a month, which was exactly the amount we needed. So he's getting these royalty checks for about $800 a month out on his property. And he said, hey, I didn't do anything to earn that money, so I figure God must have a purpose for that money. And when you came along asking me for $800 a month, there you have it. It's amazing when God shows up, isn't it? His ways are not our ways, but God always 
shows up. I think it's God's way of reminding me, God's way of reminding us that we are weak, but He is strong. That we have an ally in this life who is greater than we can imagine. And Paul talked about this, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Paul said, We have this treasure from God, but we are like clay jars that hold the treasure. This shows that the great power is from God, not from us. The great power is from God. It's not from you. It's not from me. It's not from us. So you see, we need to know, and I think the world needs to know, that it's El Shaddai's power at work in us. That whatever we do, whatever impact we have on the community, on the city, on the world, that is good, that is only God working through us and through us. So one final word. When we come to trust in El Shaddai, the one who is almighty God, I think we need to say this. When we come to trust in him, I think it helps us keep from limiting our plans and limiting our vision to things that we believe that we can accomplish. Does that make sense? We need to begin to think and dream of things that only God can accomplish. We can do that. Great. Well, what could we do if God was involved and begin to think and dream on that sort of scale and trust again in the Lord God Almighty that we have come to know in Scriptures? Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord God Almighty, El Shaddai, that story still surprises, still makes us smile, maybe even giggle a little bit like it did with Abraham and Sarah, the story of the senior citizens who got pregnant and aptly enough named their son Laughter. You are a God who does startling things. A God who is able to surprise us and does surprise us frequently. And I pray tonight that you will help each one of us to trust in you, even when we can't see the fine print of what you're up to. Even when you haven't given us a playbook that shows us what you're going to do in our individual lives today, tomorrow, the next day. We're going to trust in you. And I pray, God, that we will be daring enough in our faith to begin to dream and plan and imagine things that we can only do if you, El Shaddai, are involved. And thank you for Jesus, the one who came in a most surprising way, born in a manger, died on a Roman cross, but was raised from death to life, appeared to hundreds, ascended to heaven, reigns at your right hand, and is Lord of lords and King of kings. What an amazing story. And He is our Lord. And we have been delivered by Him. Thank you for that. 
We pray all of that in your mighty name. Amen. Let's be standing. Yeah, we're going to sing this song, and let's let this be our closing.